So welcome to the Inception podcast. Today we're going to be talking about some of the problems that companies encounter when they're trying to change the way in which they're telling their story in different parts of the world. One of the things that's extremely interesting for us is the way that international organizations struggle when they come to tell their story in different countries, especially in a European setting, where of course you have so many different national cultures, so many different ways of of, of telling stories and of communicating with, with journalists and business customers and consumers. So really understanding that Understanding national difference is a key element in, in getting the right program in place. So today we're talking with Jilly Tennant, Head of PR Services at Ascendant Communications. Jilly, thanks so much for, for joining us. My pleasure, my pleasure. So obviously you're, you're somebody who's been working on the international aspects of corporate communication for, well, maybe for longer than, than, than we might care to admit, <laughs> but um, yes, of course you, you and I were working together uh, 10 years ago at, at Broder, working yep. on, on clients like, uh, like Argo Group and Cable and Wireless and Cordian and Converse and IBM and, and right. lots of lots of other companies, almost all of which have gone on to, to, to great and successful uh, accomplishments. So, so we must have been doing something uh, <laughs> right. One would hope so, yes. <laughs> and, and, and of course, since then, you've developed a huge amount of experience, uh, both in-house as well as on the agency side, in terms of how, uh, how, how corporate leaders can work most effectively across a European basis. Yes, and especially right. kind of bringing in, you know, a kind of internationally cross-cultured kind of project management. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think right. you're. I think you're really one of the very best people to to, to speak on this. We're we're terribly um, lucky, um, but uh, but unlucky for you. I, I've got a pile of of terribly terribly challenging questions <laughs> for you. For you I'll to do work. my very best. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, the the the, the first question. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe it's an easy one. But what what what's the one piece of advice to start off? What's the one most important piece of advice? that you would give to a, to a multinational, let, let, let's say a US multinational, looking to undertake a, a pan-European communications program? What is that one thing that they've got to start off understanding? Well, I think, I think it's, a, it's a big, big subject to get your arms around. And I really think that unless you have absolutely the right platform in place, um, you, you can't guarantee the success of a pan-European program. And, and by platform, I mean, let's talk, you know, we're talking about technology companies here, so I don't mean to sort of steal, uh, s- steal vocabulary, but really, if, if you think about it as like the foundations of a house, unless the foundation is strong and, and secure, then whatever you put in on top is, is, is not going to be supported. So, really the very very first thing that any um, multinational company looking to reach out across the across into the European markets they really have to have in mind the shape and the structure of um, the the program that they want to be able to roll out mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what are the what are the next steps I mean the first thing sounds like getting team structure right and understanding how the different functions will will work together. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the what are the next steps? I mean, I mean, I mean maybe you could give an example of, of some particular activities and how you would how you would unfold them. Okay, I mean, let's let's take you know a first look at, for example, analyst relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 
we're talking more on the PR side here, but analyst relations is, is, a, is a very important bedfellow to, to public relations and, and a lot of people don't necessarily consider it so. Because, I mean, let's be honest here. Um, if you've got the budget, a, a very strong PR, um, AR campaign can be a very powerful um, asset to your PR one. For example, um, analysts aren't just talking to your prospective buyers. They also act as impartial barometers, if you like, for the media. Um, and the media often look to the analyst community to validate a, a vendor's claim. So it's really important if the budget is there to be speaking to both analysts as well as the media at the same time mm -hmm. so that there's a very joined up and very cohesive approach to your European markets. Um, and really, you know, if you're looking at your analyst relations as well as your public relations, uh, multinationals do need to remember that a lot of people ring fence the world class kind of English speaking analysts mm -hmm. um, you know the, the IDCs the Gartners the Ovums of this world um, and actually overlook the local language analysts who have their own influences in region and they are just as important um, so really for example if you're considering an AR campaign it's very very important to ensure that it captures both tiers of analysts absolutely and from there, if you you know, once you've got that decision to run an, an, an AR campaign or an AR program, really then your PR program slots in quite tidily next to it. Um, you know, if you've, if you've already decided or realized that there's a need to support, to support your local teams in Europe, sales teams, you have a pretty good idea of which regions you want to roll out to first. Um, I have seen multinationals who've really rolled out to a, a large number of regions from the offset. And it's actually quite hard to maintain control and deliver on the successes if you kind of, for want of a better description, try to boil the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, a big piece of advice I'd always say is, is kind of start very targeted and very focused and then from there build out. Um, but there are considerations always when you come into the European market, particularly when you're looking at um, PR programs. You know, the euro is the dominant currency in Western Europe. However, um, it, you do need to remain mindful that PR programs really vary from a, from a budget, budgetary perspective from country to country. I mean, for example, Germany probably one of the countries where you can look to spend the most um, and so it's really not practical to consider outlaying the, the same budget per target geography and expecting to get the same bang for your buck. And an amazing number of, of, of people actually do do that, don't they? You know, you know, they, they will do. say, right, I'm yep. going to spend three thousand pounds um, yep. a month in in Britain and in and in Ireland and in and in Estonia and in Germany, and it, it, yeah. it it's amazing. Yeah, and I think also it it's um, it's very difficult then to to get a fair representation of how those programs are working or, or not, um, because unless there's somebody pointing out that really okay, you know, it's it's just not a practical option, and really you've got to to outlay different budgets in different regions to get the same kind of set of deliverables. It it's a very hard to to get any idea of the return that you're putting in in as an investment and also it makes me think about you know the about leadership inside inside the program i mean if, mm -hmm. if you're spending the same amount everywhere you know then i mean how when in fact whether or not you're spending the same amount everywhere i mean how do you how do you coordinate that in in order to make sure that you have a really effective structure it's a good question and um I, you know, I've known multinationals who feel that they can coordinate that um, 
hands-on from the US, um, which... Um, Is that very successful? No. <laughs> With all due respect, it's really, really bad idea. Okay. Um, and that's no reflection on, on the ability of the person trying to coordinate the program from from the states but you have to you have to consider that at the very least it's it's a five-hour time difference if the company on the east is, is on the east coast and liaising with a you know the uk agency you know at worst it's nine hours with mm-hmm. different languages with different work ethics or different um office hours and it's really more complicated than it perhaps would appear at first sight mm. um if you think really? West, I mean, even West Coast to Finland, I mean, that's 10 hours, isn't it? I mean, a- absolutely. And and let's be honest here, you know, it, when we're do- talking about the media, the media are, you know, uh, they have a very demanding schedule. And so you can be as prepared as you like, but a journalist will still drop it in your lap that they need something turned around within two or three hours, otherwise the opportunity's gone. Um, and and. It, if the agency in a particular region is looking to um, get particular supporting additional supporting materials, needs to elevate something up the chain, if they're having to wait however many hours it might be before the person who's coordinating it in the US comes online, then that's an opportunity lost. Um, and, you know, really this is where we would always, always recommend that if you're dealing with... Um, multi-regions and agencies within multi-regions that you should always have a lead coordinating agency based probably actually most logically out of the UK because obviously um, English is continues to be it for the time being anyway um, the sort of the language of choice in the business world Um, and by having a lead agency um, headed out of the UK it means that they can pretty much control and manage and coordinate the whole program where it's in in the right sort of time frame um, with the understanding of the cultural idiosyncrasies um, and also actually acting as a buffer if you like to the um, to the US where the US and and the sort of the corporate only then has to deal with the really high level stuff because let's be honest there's an awful lot of low level general account maintenance that goes on that corporate doesn't really need to be drawn into there's you know it's 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 a very busy juggling act anyway mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so wh- wh- where does it i mean i mean I- imagine if uh, a company doesn't feel they're there yet i mean yeah. w- w- what if w- what if they say um I mean, for example what if a company's in the situation where it doesn't have a strong working relationship with the, with the uk agency mm-hmm. uh and and it's considering um, uh, it's it's it, it's it's considering the options. I mean, I mean, you could really see that, sure. that the people would be very, 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 very cautious. I mean, how yeah. could you? Um, how would you start off choosing the right agency if you just didn't have any any existing relationship at all with a with, with a partner in Europe? Okay, well, I mean, it's an interesting question because I've spoken to multinationals in the past who are in exactly that position and they're kind of going around in circles thinking okay do we actually um, have a lead agency or do we have do we hire an EU PR manager who whose job is to coordinate with marketing directors to find agencies in country to bring them on board to get them up to speed you know um, keeping everything in house um, it's it has its benefits, but it can be a very, very protracted and labour-intensive kickoff process. And actually, 
Um, it's, uh, it's probably not the best use of your budget in the sort of the opening stages of a, of a program into Europe. Mm. Um, and how would, how would you even, how would you even find, find that person? I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking actually of a, of a, of a client of, client of mine. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I don't, I don't know if you, if you worked uh, for Research in Motion uh, back in, back in the Rhoda days. Oh yes, those days, um, yes, yes. But I'm, yes. I'm thinking of this wonderful guy whose name I can't remember, but might have been called Charlie, who was there, who was their general counsel yeah, and was, and, mm. and was working in Europe uh, to Lee, you know, because obviously you, you, you've got a huge amount of legal staff that's going to be sure. country by country. And actually he, he, he was like one of the key people managing the agency sure. uh, set up in, in Europe, which was, so I think it can be really hard for companies starting they up can. in Europe to identify, who, who, you know, where would you even find somebody to manage that for you if you needed an in-house stakeholder? And it might mean taking a really senior person from North America and moving them to Europe. And, and, and that yes. could ju just be something you hadn't uh, expected. Yeah. And, and again, it, it comes down to um, cost, really, um, because to, to, to hire somebody cold who, you know, you're, you don't have as a referral, somebody who's not currently part of the company, it takes an awful, it's a, it's a big leap of faith that that person's going to get it right. Because let's be honest, you know, your, your very first foray into Europe or any launch of, of, of any description, it's got to be right from the outset. And, and if the person who you brought on board to do it doesn't quite get it right, then that's a really major, major loss of investment. Um, so, I mean, it's a tricky one, uh, but that is an option that I've heard companies try to go down, uh, uh, try to go for in the past. Um, as I said, has its benefits, has its disadvantages. Probably from an inf a, a, a program in its infancy, it's really not a good plan. Um, the other, another option you can do it is um, obviously this is where you employ a pan-European agency mm -hmm. um, who have offices in each of your target geographies. So they can service your program, handle your coordination across uh, um, coordination across all the regions, and act as your daily point of contact um this kind of agency model is great because obviously you can switch on your pr program very quickly because the 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 contacts are already there um you don't have to go out hunting blind for an agency for example in 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 prague if, if that happens to be one of your key mm -hmm. markets mm -hmm. um it's already there part of the network um for example you know one of one of our european clients um, who we have this model with is, is Akamai. Uh, it began its program with us in 2003 when there was just four core geographies that it wanted to service and sort of they've added further to the to the their geographic outreach and in, in it and in 2010 I think it was they brought Italy and Sweden in mm -hmm. so there that's the sort of organization that un, that recognized that the importance and that the the need to have a, a, a model that allowed them to quickly and efficiently switch on more regions as they expanded um, the other one option that there is is where if you've already got a couple of um, agencies in place in Europe mm -hmm. so for example you're a multinational who has said right okay maybe the French market is really big for us you know we'll we'll get an agency started over there that we can manage from the US that's not a big deal uh, and then you've maybe picked another one so you have a few agencies already up and running and live but you need to um, 
bring somebody in because actually as Alex expanding um, is now getting unmanageable. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you can still have that coordinating agency in place. And you were asking how you go about finding them. I mean, actually, a lot of it comes down to have a look at who, what other national, multinationals are doing and who with. You know, because as with anything, it's, it's all about referrals. And even though they might not mm -hmm. be physically saying this is, a, this is a good agency to work with, you know, have a look to see who who else is doing the same sort of program that you're doing and, and who are they using? Because at the end of the day, if if it's working, then they're probably a good agency to speak to. Um, and actually, there are... So I suppose what you're saying there is that if you're, if you're looking at agencies, a good, a good clue is if you've got an agency that's just working with you know with you know with national brands that aren't terribly international mm -hmm. you know then, yes. then then maybe they're not really going to be in 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 the habit of of uh, of uh, of um of doing that work absolutely yeah. absolutely and actually it's really important that particularly on a on a pan european and even an international scale that you do get the right um agency in place because at the end of the day the agency isn't just a supplier when you're working, you know, on that kind of a scale, they have to be seen on every level in every region as as a as a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, what you're looking for is an agency who kind of understands that their job is there to help educate or re-educate where necessary. How PR feeds back into the business. Um, I've worked with a number of clients where there has been a disconnect between the sales team and the PR program. Um, it, the sales teams are doing a, probably the most important job for the company. They're bringing in customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately for them, as sort of PR practitioners, we want to get our hands on, on the customer names because yes. that's what allows us to really showcase how successful the company is and some of the great work that they're mm -hmm. doing. And to have that local story as well. Oh, without a doubt. Because that's, at the end of the day, what the media want to hear about. You know, they want to hear about how Company X is actually um, helping company, uh, other, other companies within that geographic region to, to achieve what they're looking to try and achieve from a business perspective. Um, so, yes, without a doubt, local customer names is, is paramount um, however obviously a lot of the sales teams are, are actually very blinkered in because they're so focused on reaching their sales that they find it very hard to understand how PR can help feed into their conversion rates um, I uh, worked on a PR program gosh back in the broader days actually Duncan mm -hmm. and there was a situation and and I went in and I I spent a lot of time talking to the sales teams and understanding what it was that they needed um you know from from us as PR practitioners to help them and if they didn't if they didn't realize what it was to help sort of show them that well actually you know what if you can give us this customer story we can go away and we can get you some fantastic coverage for it which we can then create into leave behinds for potential customers you know that you're that you're having conversations with to help sh again showcase um great work that you're doing with other customers to help also convert that customer from a potential to uh, signing on the dotted line. So really, it, it, is, it is a case that when I say that a good agency is not just your supplier, it's somebody that you, it's an agency that you trust to bring inside um, and talk directly to your teams. 
Mm-hmm. Now, so I mean, just on that point about trust, um, mm. what about what about the situation where um, where a company maybe hires a a, a pan you know a you know a, either either a pan European network sure. or a or or a, I don't know I suppose you have kind of networks with capital ends and networks with small ends you know <laughs> you know you know you know you have networks where like like on one end where you know where they're all owned by the by the same family in New York sure and 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 then you've got like a you know a, a network in the middle where you've got the, the same logo on the back of your business cards and then and then you've got a uh, you know and then you've got a looser network where you've got stronger st- stronger working relationships but either way that means that you're putting in place um, a best of breed group of agencies where people where the people on the agency side probably know each other and trust each other and have got working relationships yes, yes. well i mean that's that's a huge a yes. huge advantage but then Absolutely. they still but then sometimes at the country level you might um you know there might be tensions at the local at the national level might there between you know oh, the, yes. the 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 you know the the country manager in Slovenia who's got a favorite Slovenian agency and and that's not the agency that's in that's in the European network or the international network that the that the company signed up with yeah and actually I've come across that a number of times and you know it's no reflection on on the agency that's in the network um who can do a perfectly good job it is just a matter of of trust and preference mm. um and when I was actually working in-house at BEA Systems, the um, I was covering a maternity um, leave and the PR manager who'd been in there previously had appointed an agency and the country manager was really not that happy about it because actually they really liked mm-hmm. um, the agency that they'd been working with previously. Um, and actually I spent a lot of time in that country talking between the country manager, talking with the agencies, and and just trying to um, build up that relationship, I guess, between the two of them, and, and that was that's always a difficult one because it's just a case of actually time, <laughs> mm. you know, and and proving that um, the the trust is 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 well earned, you know, um, and you know what, there's always going to be politics and. One thing I would say, there are you are absolutely right, Duncan, when you described it, that there's networks with capital N's mm. and networks with smaller N's. And there are very much um, kind of, I guess, um, when you're talking about pan-European network, two, I mean, there might be a third option, but there are two kind of predominant models that you're looking at. And you are looking at that um, branded network which everybody is everybody's agency is branded with the same company name mm-hmm. um it's very set in stone it's um it's it's a, a a very tried and tested model um and it has a great many strengths um not least as you said because of the the trust element throughout however from personal experience um you're only you're really only as strong as your weakest link sorry for exactly. it to sound like no, a pun no. yes but really you are when you're looking at an agency network, you're, the agency network is only as strong as the weakest agency within that network. And I, I do remember uh, back in the Broder days, there was once an issue with one of our... Obviously, it's somebody else's network, obviously. Obviously, it's somebody else's <laughs> yes, network. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Broder doesn't exist anymore. Those days have <laughs> passed. Um, but it, it was, there, wasn't, there was an issue with um, 
the relationship with one of the regional agencies and the problem was is it in, it intrinsically weakened the network as a whole um, because the the client was faced with the option to either replace the whole network, which they didn't because they understood that actually the network was an incredibly strong one despite the the, the, the ways that things weren't working well in that particular country. Um, or they are forced to keep on the network but at a maybe yes. in, 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 in quite a big cost. Um, you... It, the what you would probably describe as the model, which is a sort of network with a, with a small n, is um, where you have um, an affiliation mm. of, of agency partners, and actually, just because they're not all branded with the same um, company logo per se, and everyone's carrying the same um, uh, company banner, it it doesn't weaken that at all. Um, mm. It, I mean, actually, fact, I must say, it I think it, it can stronger. be stronger. Yeah, absolutely, because everybody's working together because they believe in the common cause, and actually, everybody has the same ethic. Everyone's working um, with the same set of um, values, and people, are, you know, it's where agencies have come together and said, "Look, you know, we all believe in doing this the same way. Let's form this affiliated partnership across Europe." Um, and now the, the great thing about that is everybody is actually having to work that much harder to keep to make sure that everything is is kept to the right level because um, it, there's, there isn't that rigid structure that binds everybody together. Exactly. But from a client's perspective, that's also an incredibly strong proposition because if in the instant there is um, an agency in a particular region that is not as strong as the others then the option is there to swap that agency mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. without replacing your whole network. And I, uh, I think this is also one of the big strengths. I'm thinking on, on a global level mm. of, of some, some of the agencies that I've come across, like, like, uh, like Global Fluency or ION or WorldCom. You know, yeah. they work in this way where they have, you know, you know, committed relationships with common with common processes, but very often they've got two, maybe more than two partners in each in each country and of course yeah. that also allows you to, to deal with conflicts you know where yeah. maybe you know one agency may not work and also this this point you made earlier about about the relationship i mean one of the yeah. huge advantages about using an agency is that people are hot swappable you know you can yes. swap one account director for another account director yes you know wh yeah. wh whereas it's really hard to, to sack somebody you've just hired in france and replace them with a new person you've just hired in france oh my god yes and i mean i hate it's it's a, maybe a bizarre analogy to anyone who's not heard it before but it's Getting it right is, is, you know, the analogy is like a bicycle, with, you know, a two-wheeled bicycle. Okay, so I thought say. you were going to say it was like marriage. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like a two-wheeled bicycle. Let's, you know, you've got the front end, the front, bi the front wheel, which is um, the interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the where you hear a client go, God, you know, I really enjoy working with, I don't know, Sandra, for example. She really gets us. She's dynamic. She's energetic. She blah, 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 blah. And then the back wheel is the technical side, um, which is, you know, my God, they continue to get us phenomenal amounts of interviews, some great coverage, blah, 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 blah. And actually, you know, you, you, you really have to have both for it to really, really work. You can ride a bicycle on one wheel, sure. But you know what? It doesn't go half as fast as when you're riding a bike with two wheels. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not as in control as you are with a bike with two wheels. And what you're saying about the personal relationships is absolutely just so. Um, 
again, when I was at BEA, one of the other um, regions where there was a few problems um, was was actually Sweden at the time, where um, there was just a bit of a disconnect between the country manager and then the local um, and the local BEA team and the um, the agency at the time. And when I was looking at the results on paper, I couldn't understand where the problem was coming from because actually they were delivering perfectly. Um, they were meeting all the targets, they were getting great, you know, great business level um, coverage, all the rest. And it was only really when I started to sit down and talk to people and it was just, it was like, well, I just, you know, I just, I'm just not feeling it when I'm working with this particular person. Yeah. Um, and so I had to go and speak to the agency and I said, look, you know what, we, we don't want to lose you as our partner agency, but you're going to have to replace the account director on your team because they're, there is an interpersonal problem going on here and, and it's jeopardizing the, the health of the account. Um, and again, it's, it's just really important. There, is, there are very small sort of like nuts and bolts that need tightening along the way, but it's really important that you can find an agency and a network that allows the tightening to happen and to have that flexibility. Um, you know, it's a bit like the dating game. You have to, you know, it's, it's trying to find the exact match. Mm-hmm. Makes it sound really easy, doesn't it? <laughs> no, really, really. It makes it seem. It really mean. It makes it seem very, very, very difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. so I mean, okay. So, so I mean, we, we've spoken about you know the different the different pan European options, kind of you know mm-hmm. you know networks with big ends and 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 small ends. I mean, the other thing that that really struck me is. Um, I mean, I, when I started working at, at, during the time I was at Broder, it moved from being from having many independently owned agencies into into mm. being an, a, a wholly owned agency. Sure. And and it actually had from the time that I joined, and I imagine well, you know, well before then, actually some really really solid policies, you know, on, mm. on financial relationships and approvals Absolutely. and yep. and and, yep. and uh, you know co- you know corporate branding and yes. fonts yep. and, and yep. like really, really organized, even when it wasn't a wholly owned agency. No. And and actually when I look at some wholly owned networks, I see there can be actually some some quite big difficulties if you don't mm. have uh, you know budgets aligned and, and, and things like that. So I think mm. it's I think it's very hard to actually work out um which agencies are the right buy, and I think that comes back to to your point about about recommendation and actually yeah. hearing 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 who else is is important. Yeah, are, I mean, are there are there other considerations that people should be thinking about when they're when they're looking at at, at agencies and getting their agencies to to play nicely together? Well, getting their agencies to play nicely together—that's a great expression. Mm. Um, I think. Um, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I think um, one thing you that I, I, you know, maybe it doesn't answer the question directly, but I think it's a point that really, really has to be made. You know, if we, I think there are many different sizes of companies and organisations who are looking to do PR in Europe, whether they're Nasdaq listed, whether they're looking to go IPO, whether they're actually not looking to go IPO, but they're mm-hmm. looking to be bought. You know, there are lots of different considerations, and, and you sort of touched on the point just now about, um, you know. Broder being very um, rigid and and very um, rigid. Well, no, rigid. That's a negative word. Is strong, 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 strong. Thank you about these approval processes <laughs> and the branding and um, you know. But it it was exactly that because actually you have to you have to make sure that the people that you work with 
fully understand the you know your disclosure requirements and policies and you know if you're a nasdaq listed company there is no getting this wrong you know if yeah. if if an agency doesn't really fully appreciate the need for for external communication sort of a, a formal materials to be soon signed off by your legal department and is sending stuff out into their their media market attributed to to you as the company and it's not something that you've approved then things can really start to break down particularly when it comes to customers and announcing new customers and you know when you should be announcing customers when you shouldn't be announcing customers quiet periods all the rest I mean it's a lot to be considered and Mm. um, you know one would like to think that a pan-European agency understands these these idiosyncrasies but actually more importantly these policies that have to be understood particularly coming from from the US where there's a whole different set of um, sort of legal requirements Um, and you know as I said I'm not sure I answered the question that you've just asked but this is something I felt was really really important to to get across. I mean I, I kind of feel that there's that I mean obviously there's there's a whole range of really deep and and uh, you know expen- expensively captured uh, lessons that you've that mm. you've learned you know <laughs> uh, you know obviously all, all, almost all of them through through successful uh, through successful interactions <laughs> but i mean the, the, i'm i'm sure there's i mean space really for a whole other conversation about about the nuts yep. and bolts of of coordinating european pr programs I, I do think this point that you made though is is a is maybe is really is, is actually a really interesting thing because it makes me think that you know when American organisations come uh, into their domestic market and start working with a PR agency, that very often they're working with a PR agency which, which is much more professional than they are because mm-hmm. you know America it's a huge domestic market and the big sure. PR agencies are really strong and old and that's just not the case in the same way in the European no. markets and no. and here you know you may have a really really mature maybe even you know maybe even american companies have got the infrastructure that's needed for a very large company in north america and mm. maybe that that set of rules is it's very difficult yeah uh for for a european agency even even a network uh, even a, even a network of firms you know owned by owned by a big american firm it might mm. be hard for a, to, to find a local fit where people are able to take seriously yeah the rules, um, the, the rules that you have. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I think it comes down to as well as the fact that it's, it's not just taking seriously, but it's really understanding why they're there. And, um, you know, unless an agency can kind of say, okay, these are, these are cumbersome rules from a practitioner's perspective in Europe where, you know, it's, it's creating delays in approvals, it's, you know, da, da, da. But actually, okay, we understand why they have to be done. Um mm. And and it's it, it's as you said it's it's finding have, finding that right fit where it's the the it's generally agencies that have worked with U.S. companies previously and successfully because actually it's it's there are lots of dynamics that can be different you know I mean even from a U.K. perspective hey we speak the same language but you know you call it a sidewalk we call it a pavement and it's there are always differences and particularly cultural differences and you know that's almost a whole other conversation again where you know you look at um the european market and 
gosh, you know, really that the Swedes are intrinsically different from the Italians who are <laughs> different again from the Germans, you know, um, who are different from the Swiss. I mean, it's, it's you know, you're, you might be talking a smaller landmass than America considerably. However, jammed into this smaller landmass are a whole host of different cultural entities jostling with around each other and and you know what it, it's um it's a veritable boiling pot and you have to have somebody <laughs> in place i guess who really understands how to pick up the phone and speak differently to somebody in sweden to somebody in you know in prague to somebody in milan and understand that when somebody in Milan says that they'll get it to you this afternoon, you might not actually see it until the next morning, you know, compared to Germany where you'll get it pretty damn quickly, as they've said you will, you know. And it's, um, there, are, there are an awful lot of considerations. It's what makes doing, you know, business and, and particularly PR, I think, in Europe so very exciting. And, you know, um, but it, it's... Just kind of, as I said at the start, it, it's something that is, is quite large to get your arms around. And I think um, you've got to have an open mind when you're looking to bring your PR business over into Europe um, and, and accept that um, there are a lot of differences. And um, uh, not just from the way PR programs work, but also from a cultural perspective. Um, and that's more than just the language. Julie, I feel that that we're on the on the on the on the verge of going into a whole other conversation. So I, I think agree. this is a good time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a great time to um, uh, to wrap this uh, to wrap sure. this up. Um, I mean, really, thank you, thank you so much for your My for pleasure. your time. I mean, I, I think uh, I think what's come across is this incredible depth of experience uh, that that you have and your real skill in getting absolutely to the heart of the of the matter. I hope that we'll continue the conversation soon. It would be my pleasure. Thank okay. you very much, Duncan, for, for asking me to, to join you with this. My pleasure, Julie. Thanks very much. Take care. And Bye -bye. to you. Bye.